0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Virginia Haywood. Morning, Virginia.
1: Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody out there. Cold and wet again. Yes. <laughs> this wet should get us through the summer, I reckon. Oh, I think it
0: certainly will. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you survived an open garden
1: last weekend.
0: Oh, my God, did it rain. <laughs>
1: it was unbelievable. I had something like two inches just on Saturday. That's and incredible. Still over 70 people came through.
0: That's fabulous.
1: Yep, yeah, n- mainly women. Yes, in their raincoats, yep. I went through three coats. Oh, gosh. I, I just had to keep changing them and hanging them up in, <laughs> inside <laughs> and then getting another one and going out again. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was extraordinary. Oh, dear.
0: But overall,
1: oh, wonderful the people came along still. And over 100 the next day. So, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was. I had nearly 200 people through. And, and I like that because that is a number you can... Just handle. Yes. Whereas when I've been open for open gardens, it's been 600 and 700 over the weekend. And, and that's crazy. You can't mm. talk to people. No. And my garden's got so many unusual plants that there's always... Questions. People want to ask me questions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so I it, it was about the right number for me. Yeah, good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, always I always enjoy it. I love talking about plants. Yep. <laughs> and Gwen came, which thrilled oh, me. Oh, great. Because it's a long call for her. Yes, it is. And she hasn't been there for ages, so okay. I was absolutely thrilled when I saw her face.
0: Oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay, we also have to say a very good morning to Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Hi, Jeremy.
2: Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone.
0: And the Dandenongs must be so quite, green.
2: Quite quite green and quite wet, and, yes. and uh, just thinking that uh, last weekend we, we were running a, a workshop uh, with um, Ian Ma from New South Wales that weekend, we had a... So it was a letter-cutting workshop, and we only... It was a small workshop, about seven people. Right. Uh, five Melbourne people, and two from Young in New South Wales. Oh. Uh, two, two, uh, two blokes who run a nursery on the outskirts of Young in New South Wales. Okay. And they, they came down with their truck, and they treated it as a plant buying exercise. <laughs> and also figuring out letter-cutting. Uh, and I've never met... Uh, Two more cheerful blokes in my life, Uh, that that weekend they got rained on, they got hailed on, (laughs) the wind came through, a tree came slumping down on the other side of the road, right in the middle of things, the little marquee they were under, because it was letter cutting, so they were carving uh, slate, so we couldn't do it inside, it had to be outside, and little chips of stone going everywhere. Right and um so the the marquee nearly blew away on several occasions, people holding it down, oh gosh, and they were so cheerful, they were so amazed at getting at getting some rain they they they'd gone so long without rain, <laughs> right that <laughs> That they, they sort of raised, the, they kept everyone cheerful, oh. and none of the Melbourne people dared complain about all the rain and yes, sleet and yes, hail. Yes, of
0: course. Puts a whole different perspective <laughs> on it. Absolutely. Yes, wonderful. No,
2: it was a fabulous weekend. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed themselves, <laughs> but by golly, I, I just need to get those two back every time we have a workshop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's really great. And you've got, uh, we're going to talk about it in depth in a little while, but you've got, um, because we're leading up uh, sort of very roughly into the Christmas period and, of course, Cloud Hill are going to be uh, hosting a whole lot of uh, events again, twilight events in the garden.
2: Yeah, we've been fairly ambitious this year and um, we're actually doing something in December with the... um, Hush Foundation. So this is a charity event on the Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a lovely evening. Uh, and, they, um, and we have the idea of North uh, putting on Christmas carols. So it's a cappella group and right. they're getting featured on radio, the ABC Radio National quite a bit at the moment. And they're doing it on behalf of the Hush Foundation, which is connected with the Royal Children's Hospital. That's uh, right. And so it's quite a big deal. Um, and that's the beginning of a series of you know, reasonably ambitious things, I guess.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about those in a little while. But um, I, I think it's wonderful that you're using the garden, you know, to such an extent for all these events. It's, it's great. Just like the, the letter cutting. I mean, it's, that's what gardens are about. Um, in a way.
2: Yes, and Ian was working on his own little project as well, or yes. rather our, our little project uh, which will end up in the garden, so that, that was part of the deal, but uh, <laughs> and we're up still halfway through that. Um, so, it's so, in, so, so it didn't It's an excuse to do something with and get some people in and have a bit of fun with uh, explaining how on earth you do this thing. Yes, right. Uh, but at the same time we end up with a Uh, Interesting piece of artwork that we can utilise in the garden
0: Yes, fantastic Mm. Okay, I'm going to get straight on to some community announcements While we've uh, got things uh, still happening, uh, as I say, in the lead up to summer First of all, uh, today there is a guided spice walk at Geelong Botanic Gardens Uh, Now this is all about uh, spices and herbs Uh, and uh, looking at the various plants uh, with a history of culinary value. Uh, Now, uh, you meet your guide at the Geelong Botanic Garden Front Steps. Entry is by Gold Coin Donation, uh, and you meet at 2 o'clock this afternoon for that one. So uh, that's uh, if you're in the Geelong uh, region. Now, also on today, (coughs) there's uh, the 31st Garden Walk taking place Um, starting from the Arthurs Creek Mechanics Institute. Now, uh, they run this every year. All proceeds go towards continuing renovations and upkeep of the hall. Um, Now, there'll be six private gardens open. There'll be Jane and Noir pottery. There'll be paintings, garden sculpture, lavender products, cottage plants, a land care display, Devonshire teas and light lunches all taking place. Now, Arthurs Creek Mechanics Institute is at 906 Arthurs Creek Road in Arthurs Creek. Melway reference there is 393B4. And uh, as I mentioned, the proceeds are all going to the continuing renovations of the hall. Uh, Tickets will be available from 9.30, running through until 3 o'clock. Gardens will open until 5.30 p.m., uh, cost adults $20, children are free, uh, FPOS is available and please bring bags for purchases. Now if you'd like to make more inquiries this morning before they get going, you can phone Lois, her number is 0467 So that's only taking place today, as I say, tickets available from 9.30 onwards. Also taking place today, uh, Maribyrnong Orchid Society have got their Orchid show on. Venue is Maribyrnong Community Centre, which is in Randall Street in Maribyrnong. Entry $5. Uh, The Times, 9am this morning through until 4pm this afternoon for that one. Now... uh, Sue at Bushland Flora Nursery has got a sale coming up for the next two Saturdays. So Saturday the 16th and also on the 23rd of November.
1: That's always such a good sale, that one too. People flood in because they they know that there'll be such such lovely plants. Mm,
0: Really, really quality Australian natives. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm... I'm not certain of the times. I think it's 8 through till 3.30, That's somewhere around about that time. It's that sounds anyway. right, yes. Yeah. okay. So and it's
1: always wise to take cash.
0: Fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't have written down the address of Bushland Flora Nursery. I have it. Do you have it there? Somewhere, Let me, while you go. Okay, we'll give that out in a minute. Uh, now, next uh, Sunday, the 17th of November... Uh, there's an annual salvia's at Nobeli- Nobelius. Nobelius. Nobelius, is it? Mm. Okay, 10am uh, at the Salvia Display Garden in the Nobelius Heritage Park, which is in Emerald. It's under the Puffing Billy line. Uh, last year it's sold out, so uh, you need to get in there early if you want to grab some uh, some really interesting salvia's, uh, and uh, you can have a wander. Uh, through the uh, Emerald Market at the same time. so that's
1: the, the other thing about there is yes. that on, there's one of the stations for, for Puffing Billy is there. Oh, okay. And at some time, a long time ago, somebody planted a whole lot of Ixias and at this time of year it is just covered wow. in Ixias and they're just beautiful. Ixias, for those who don't know, it's a South African bulb mm. and it's just covered in them and they're just gorgeous. So if you do go to the Salvia Collection walk up the hill to the Puffing Billy station. And have a look. Yeah, because the Ixias will be out and they'll be gorgeous.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so that's all happening uh, Sunday of next week, the 17th, starting at 10 a.m. And as I mentioned, it's in Nobelius Heritage Park in Emerald.
1: And Bushland Flora is 110 Clegg Road. That's right. In in between, um, or out of Mount Evelyn. Yep. In between Mount Evelyn and Wandon.
0: Okay, but it's officially Mount Evelyn. Yes. yes. Yep. Yep. Terrific. All right. Uh, now, um, Open Gardens Victoria have got two gardens opening up next weekend, and these gardens have both been designed by Fiona Brockhoff. Mm-hmm. I know many of um, our listeners do know of Fiona, and in fact they may be familiar with uh, one of the gardens she designed uh, down on the Mornington Peninsula but uh, this is a rare opportunity this first garden and it's only open for one day to actually have a look at Fiona and David Swan's private inner city Melbourne garden as I said for one day only Uh, next Saturday 16th now uh, Fiona approached the design of her own garden with a design brief requiring somewhere to get wet somewhere to sit somewhere to dine and barbecue, somewhere for two Jack Russell terriers, citrus trees that cannot be grown in Sorrento, herbs and vegetables, compost, year-round beauty and seasonal surprises and a blurring of the boundaries. So uh, it would be very interesting to go along and have a look at that garden and see how much of that brief she managed to achieve. And knowing Fiona, she uh, probably did an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, So uh, Fiona's... uh, Actual garden is at 37 Fairburn Road, F-A-I-R-B-A-I-R-N, Fairburn, I I presume, road in Toorak. And it's open 10am till 4.30, next Saturday only. As I mentioned, it's a one-day only opening for this one. Entry is $10, children under 18 free. Uh, Numbers admitted to the garden at any one time will be limited. So you may have to uh, wait a little while because it's obviously a, a small garden and can only accommodate so many at once, so that's fair enough.
1: That is so sensible.
0: Oh, very sensible. Yeah, that way you get a decent look. Mm. You're not crowded out, and, mm. yes. Uh, now, there will be uh, some book sales happening uh, there uh, as well, and there will be uh, book sales by Kate Hurd and Anne Vale. So um, some excellent books there that you can pick up at the same time. So the other garden that's opening next weekend is open for the whole weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. And as I mentioned, this is also a garden designed by Fiona. Um, it's entitled the Turak Treehouse Garden. And uh, the, uh, it's a garden uh, that's uh, uh, also been built um, a, around a, a cream brick apartment house that was built in 2012, which is an enigma from the outside. Just a fine veil of transparent mesh, hints at what might lie beyond. But uh, beyond the west-facing front entrance, shaded by a beautiful jacaranda tree, is a series of garden spaces where Fiona has taken challenging site conditions and turned them into plant-based opportunities with beautiful, intimate living areas and year-round interest. And uh, her planting design concentrates on foliage, texture, colour and plant habit with flowers, providing interest at various times of the year. So uh, this second garden of Fiona's, the Treehouse Garden, is at 234 Kuyong Road in Toorak. As I said, it's open both Saturday and Sunday, 10 through till 4.30. Entry for this one is $8. Children under 18 are free. Now, as usual, we have been given two free double passes, one to Fiona's own home on Saturday only, on next Saturday the 16th, and the other one is to the Treehouse Garden, open Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. So the first two people who ring up on 941901 double five can get one of those free double passes posted out to them during the week, ready for next weekend. Now, uh, there's uh, a big event coming up. And again, this is all about um, the uh, the Dandenong Ranges. Uh, and uh, first of all, there's an exhibition which opened yesterday. And it's running through until Sunday the 26th of January uh, 2020. So uh, this is open for a while. It's... Uh, being held in the Yarra Ranges Regional Museum, which is at 35 to 37 Castella Street in Lilydale, Now, the exhibition um, showcases uh, five significant heritage buildings in the Dandenong Ranges. History and stories are revealed through multiple layers brought to life by recorded memories, photographs and building biographies, and it... uh, It is uh, centred around unique Polish paper-cutting art form. So it sounds really interesting. (laughs) The buildings featured Burnham Beaches, uh, Miller Short House, uh, Mawarra, Kenlock Estate and St Michael and All Angels. Pam, Pam, can I just break in there? I
2: have actually seen some of that artwork in in the process of being put together and it is quite incredible and it's hard to describe until you actually see it but right. it's but it's incredibly intricate as huge I went I, I went to went the opening yesterday
1: oh did you yes mm-hmm. and I thought the Kenlock one oh I just I I think it's fabulous it's a small fabulous exhibition and it's a really nice little museum too it's in one of the oldest buildings or probably the oldest building in the area okay and it's got a cafe right next door. It's just, it's just a really nice place to go. Right. And I thought it was a fabulous exhibition. I'm going to go back.
0: Right. Okay. Well, there you go. So, listeners have got time. As I said, it's running through um, until the 26th of January. So, uh, that, uh, there's really no excuses to not go and have a look. Now, running in conjunction with the exhibition, there is a program of events. So, first of all, Saturday the 16th of November... There's going to be a paper cutting and collage workshop with Kelly Sullivan, who uh, is vintage-inspired contemporary pop artist. Uh, now, all these events are being run at uh, this same museum, uh, Yarra Ranges Regional Museum, 35 to 37 Castella Street in Lilydale. So, 16th uh, is the paper cutting and collage workshop. Then on Sunday, the 24th there is um, a talk uh, being given by Sarah Harding and uh, this is uh, all about uh, uh, the life, the unusual life of Edna Walling. Uh, So uh, the uh, actual details, if I could just find them, here we are. Uh, The talk will run from 2pm to 3pm and as I said, it's, it's in that same museum. Tickets are $10. Bookings are required. An interesting thing on Edna
1: Walling, the Garden History Society have held money aside from visits to places like Bickley Vale hoping to get a PhD student to do a, a thesis on Edna Walling. Okay. And it's never been done. Right. You wouldn't believe it, would no. you? No. Good that, heavens. That, that it just hasn't been done. Wow,
2: well, that's a huge opportunity for someone. Absolutely, to, uh, Isn't it ever?
0: <laughs> absolutely. Isn't it ever? Yes. Okay. Um. I'm and I'm presuming that Sarah Hardy has written a book because she can author talk. Yes. And I presume it's entitled Edna Walling, the woman who grew a village, uh, which of course is referring to Bickley Vale. Uh, now, okay. Then on Saturday the 30th of November, there's some evening talks, and this is on. Uh, Botanical and Horticultural Significance of the Regions Associated and the Neighbouring Gardens. Now, um, the uh, the talks run from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Tickets are $15. Bookings are required for this one. And uh, there are three speakers in all. The first one I'm sure our listeners will be very familiar with, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. He'll be speaking about the magnificent garden of Sir Arthur Streeton's Long Acres. Then Emma Moisey from Fernie Creek Horticultural uh, Society uh, will be speaking about uh, Kenlock. And John Curtis of Parks Victoria will give an overview of the beautiful uh, Alfred Nicholas Memorial Garden, Paranda Garden and the George uh, Tyndall Memorial Garden. So, those three talks uh, all take place one after the other on Saturday, the 30th of November.
1: I'm going to go to that. I think that'll it be really be wonderful. interesting. Mm. Yep,
0: yep. And the final event is Sunday, the 1st of December. And uh, uh, there'll be a guest speaker from uh, who's the Heritage Advocacy Advisor to the National Trust, uh, Caitlin and... Uh, Metropolis, I hope I've, I've pronounced her, her surname correctly, and she'll be speaking on why does heritage matter, uh, people's connection to places. So a wonderful series of events uh, for that one. And uh, as I said, the exhibition has already opened, uh, but do, uh, do uh, uh, have a look out for those, uh, for those uh, different talks and events, and you do need to book for those ones. Okay, well, it's high time we, uh, we open our talkback lines. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we have Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill and Virginia Hayward, who's a guide at Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne in the studio. Do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five. Or this morning, we have Carol on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Carol, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Okay, Virginia... There's so many plants you brought in. Let's start with a couple.
1: <laughs> well, the most, the, there was, um, I've got two, a yellow and a pink version. I've put these on Facebook, or at least Lizzie has. And it's called Cantua buxifolia, or the pride of the Incas. And the buxifolia is because the, um, the leaves are a bit like bucks. But, and it's not a terribly interesting shrub. It just sits there in the garden being green and nothing else but until it
0: explodes (laughs) then it
1: explodes in these flowers one is pink with an an orange to the base of the trumpet and the other is a yellow trumpet with with white around the. and sue has got another one where the pink and the yellow are mixed together oh good heavens so it's just an extraordinary flower there are some out in the botanic gardens at the moment if you want to see it Locally.
2: And the actual flowers are the best part of, what, um, three inches, 75 mil yes. long. And, and in fact, the pink is a little bit bigger and the, uh, the other one is a little bit smaller. But very dramatic flowers. Very so
1: dramatic. And one can see that they must have been, uh, I mean, they're dependent on hum- hummingbirds. Han- yes, yeah. right. Because they come from the Americas, the South Americas. You get the, They're the national flower of the Incas of Peru. They're also a national flower. One of them is a national flower of Bolivia and they grow up in the Andes, and they're just, I think, quite extraordinary. And I, as I said, I don't particularly like the plant. I don't dislike the plant. It's just not terribly memorable. Yep. But it was probably the most commented on in my garden, and it's because when it does come out, which is in spring, it is just so extraordinary. And I've got a yellow rose in the wrong part of the garden, and I'm going to move it next to the yellow cantua next year. 'cause I think they'll they'll match They'll complement each mm. other really well. And I've got the loudest pink rose you've ever seen next to, <laughs> next to the canture okay. the pink canchure, Okay. Which is a great combination. Really
0: so how long do do they hold their flowers for? Oh about a month. Oh that's good value. Yeah, yeah, It's because I mean the pink one must
1: be shoulder high. It's you know, they're they're shrubs. They're yes, not they're yep. not small. And so they just keep, you know, because it's quite a big shrub, it just keeps putting out more flowers. Mm. The yellow one's not as big. It's probably only waist high. But again, it's, you know, there's, they're substantial. And I pruned the pink one really hard a couple of years ago thinking, oh, God, I wonder if I'll lose it. But it got so rangy right. that it had gone into being ugly rather than just boring. Yep. So I pruned it really hard, and it's come back fantastically. That's brilliant. I... I developed a habit of pruning quite a lot of things every three years i, I prune my smoke bushes cottonus or cotinus as some people call it i prune the cottonus every couple of uh, every three or four years yep then i let them go because if otherwise if you, you lose your flowers well you don't get the you flowers. don't get the flowers the yep. ones in the botanic gardens tend to be pruned every year and they prune them right down really yeah right down to the ankle we, we,
2: we prune ours every year do you um most of them, <laughs> one or two we leave, <laughs> okay. but uh, most of them we pollard and uh, really take them back hard. And, every uh, year? Yep, every year. And they're, they're kind of fun to leave through the winter because they send out such powerful growth yes. in the, uh, during each season that uh, these sort of strangling growths uh, reaching out across the garden are, are rather dramatic in the winter. And then so we nip them back right at the end of winter. Yes. Mm. Yes,
1: well, I've, I, do, I don't do it every year. I, I can't keep up with my pruning, which is one of the <laughs> reasons I don't do it every year. Uh, but also, you do tend to lose the flower. One of the ones I've pruned yeah. has flowered a little bit.
2: Yeah, we, and there are one or two that we deliberately not prune because they flower so well. Mm. There's Young Lady, which I, I where did that name come from? But it is a stunning thing for its flower. Right. Yeah, and I've Grace a, is pretty good.
1: I've got a very old one, which I don't prune. It was there, one of the few things in the garden that was there before me. And it's got the darkest, dark, dark leaf, and it's fabulous. And I've got a couple of clematis and billardiera going through it, and so it's a, it's a it's just divine at this time of year. Mm-hmm. It's in flower. The leaf is almost black, and it's got these bright orange billardieras going through it, which is a native Australian climber, and some clematis. Right. One of which is which I've put on Facebook. It's pink with bright pink stripes through it. It is so loud, (laughs) but in a black tree, it looks fabulous. It would
0: (laughs) fantastic. Okay, Um, and another one. Well,
1: the other thing I've brought in here is two roses, and again, I brought them in because they were just so um, commented on. And one of them is called Eye of the Tiger, and the other is for yours, Eyes Only. And they have been bred from a thing called a, a rose that's a subspecies of rose, actually, Rosa persica. And for a long time, it was considered not to be a rose.
0: Okay. It
1: and it grows sort of in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, uh, in sandy, deserty sort of conditions, and fairly flat to the ground. Right. But the thing that's special about it is that it's a yellow rose with a very red centre, which makes it look like it has an eye. Right. And it's about I think only 10, 20 years ago, somebody in England, two people, one in England, one in Scotland, started trying to breed from the Persica and they had to send off the seeds to wherever, I don't know, Iran, even then you probably couldn't send to Afghanistan and um, were quite unsuccessful, couldn't get it going and then suddenly somebody just had a bit of a breakthrough and there's a double, uh, another one I've got in the garden which is pink and it's a, a double uh, rose flower with this bright, bright eye. And these two are much more single-flowered. Again, have a look on Facebook I'm on, if you can. And they're just quite spectacular because of the eye, because right. they have that sense of an mm. eye in the middle of the rose.
2: Mm. Yes, I'm, I'm growing one or two as well. I'm finding that these, these very strange hybrids are actually uh, quite vigorous and... Very disease resistant as well, so which they're is surprising. incredibly useful things. Yes, yeah, so often with these. In fact, I've, I've, I have a couple of uh, plants which come into the same category. People managing the cross plants which really don't want to cross at all. Uh, the uh, foxglove, the digitalis, and and the isoplexes, and yes. the isoplexus. And uh, you know, one's a shrub, the other ones are well annual, biennial, whatever. And uh, you know, the, the, the things are pretty far apart in the uh, plant kingdom, and um,
1: except that except that Isoplexus has had its name changed to Digitalis.
2: I guess so, but all the same, but they <laughs> you look, look at them. <laughs> They look quite different. <laughs> uh, and uh, but the, but the hybrids um, uh, turn out to be rather handsome garden plants. They're and, beautiful, and, and, there's a, and there's a group of them that have been introduced uh, onto the market over the last two, three, four years or so. And, and some pretty stunning plants amongst them.
1: Yes, I've put, I've put in five of those. And the ones I put in a couple of years ago are still there. That's the other thing I'm finding yep, interesting. And,
2: and reasonably perennial.
1: They're, yes, they're lasting.
2: And, um, and what sort of care do you give them over the summer, Virginia? A, a little bit of water occasionally? or
1: um, I run, uh, We seem to have stopped having autumn rains, mm. which I find a very upsetting experience. <laughs> and I run out of water. I absolutely, with complete regularity, uh, I run out. And they're coming through the dry autumn. They've come through, and I planted them, because I didn't think they'd last, I planted them facing west, so they're in the hardest bit of the garden.
2: I'm still trying to figure them out, and I'm, I, I have managed to lose one or two over the winter, just through the winter dank that we have in the dandenongs. Um, so, I'm, so I'm trying them now in, a, uh, in an area with much better drainage, full sun. See, my eyes um, but I understand they too for them really to perform they need a, a little bit of summer watering.
1: Well, as I I you know I water and then I run out and then I stop watering. I mean, yep. <laughs> you know, I get to the stage where I haven't ever run out of house water, and I'm hoping this year that um, we've had so much water that I'll, I'll be a bit protected. But I've been, I've planted five more on the east side of the house, okay. and they should survive better.
2: Well, I, I have a couple. Well, one's um, um, Digiplexus apricot. Um, so you have to imagine a foxglove with uh, um, yellow uh, flowers with a flange of the flower, the, the, the typical foxglove flange yeah, right. uh, uh, shading to apricot. And the other one is Illumination Raspberry, and uh, with a good, good raspberry, uh, fairly self colour, so fairly pure colour. And um, all of them behaving a bit like a foxglove. And of course, I have grown Isoplexus as well, which is quite straightforward. It's a tough little plant. It's um, not that little either. Well, a tough little shrub, I suppose. Uh, bigger than a foxglove, though, yes, you're quite right. Um, and with interesting flowers. So not, a, not a terribly exciting plant, but interesting.
1: Well, I think it's a bit like the Cantua. Uh, it's yep, not terribly yep, interesting think, as a plant but when it flowers it's fabulous and I've yep. got two I've, there's two different isoplexus and I've got them both and they are a little bit, they are a bit different yep. one's got a much finer leaf and I do find sometimes they get a bit mucky at the end of winter, they get quite they get mouldy. Yeah, and, and
2: certainly ours do. Uh, the, uh, yes, the Plexus <laughs> group. Uh, no, there's, a, there's a new one, the pink one. I'm just trying to think of its name. as something rather berry, uh, which looks uh, one of the best of the lot, and that's, that's just appeared over the last little while. Well,
1: I picked up five from um, Teslas recently because I pulled out Well, part of my garden just got completely and utterly covered in nasturtium, and I just thought, no, (laughs) I'm not having you. Out it all came, but of course the things that.
2: Not the Monet look.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The things that have been underneath it were sort of the right, you look terrible, out you go. Given I was having an open garden, I thought, oh, that's a good excuse. I'll hop down to Tesla's, and I bought five Digiplexes to put in, and it'll be very interesting to see if they. Because the ones I put in the front three years ago are still there. Yep. They don't look fantastic. I mean, they're not huge, um, but they do last. Although I do find every now and again a digitalis will pop up the next year after flowering. And my hollyhocks do the same, which I find extraordinary because I didn't think they should. Yeah,
2: so a little bit of seeding happening. Mm. Yes.
1: Mm. Mm. I mean, that's the other thing. I do like foxgloves because they will just send themselves around the garden, but only around the garden. You know, I don't ever find them trying to be in a paddock.
0: No, fair enough. Which is important. <laughs> 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 I think one of these uh, roses too was bred for, um, uh, for fundraising partly, wasn't it? Part of the sales went to um, something related to eye health. I I'm pretty I, sure. Yes. I, maybe it was... There is, a,
1: there is about five or six yes. different ones, yes. And then and I, I noticed... Um, when I was in New Zealand last year, that they had recently started having them as well. So, and uh, there's always a lot of roses now released for a bit of um, fundraising. Yes, which is excellent.
0: Yeah, no, great. Um, I was asked uh, if I could give out a phone number uh, for bookings for the um, the uh, some of those events in relation to the uh, exhibition. Um, now look uh, I've,
1: I've got one have you
0: got yep. a number there because yes. i haven't been given one
1: bookings are ah. culturetracks.info 1300 368 333 that's 1300
0: 1300 368 333 great fantastic uh, and what was the uh, what was the other address well it's got
1: culturetracks.info. I don't know. I suppose try that.
0: Um, that might be a website. Yes, Yeah. I presume. Yep. Culturetracks,
1: okay. one word. Yep. Dot .info.
0: Dot .info. So that might also um, give out um, more details, details on yes. Yes. And I'm
1: sure. I don't think I do have the uh, phone number for Lilydale Museum, but if you rang the museum as well, they would be able to tell you. Yarra Ranges
0: Regional Museum. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even because it's been uh, supported by Yarra Ranges Council, the council may also have uh, um, a contact detail for the museum directly. Mm. But one three hundred three six eight triple three. Brilliant. For that one, okay, Jeremy. Let's let's talk about some of these events that you're you're going to be hosting over mm-hmm. over well, Christmas, New Year. Um, it extends right up into
3: March.
2: Into March, yes. Well, the, well, the big one is the uh, the uh, uh, the idea of North coming in December, uh, and this is a charity thing uh, to raise money for the Hush Foundation. Yes. Um, Yes, yeah, and how, is this the first time you've carols? Yeah, England? well, well, we we had the Welsh uh, one of the Welsh oh, choirs right. a long time ago. That's right. Yes, yeah. uh, but we haven't done carols for a long time, and uh, so we thought it was something in December. And I was, I'm, I'm actually doing rate, a. Might a, a have snow. <laughs> I'm actually doing a little consultancy job for a, uh for a, a, a doctor who has a few acres on the south side of Phillip Island. Oh, and. Um, uh, so that's been a long-running project, uh, trying to figure out this this very interesting bit of landscape, and not wreck it. It's just stunning, but it, but it wants to be left as natural as possible, um, and uh, but at the same time turned into something which kind of makes sense for this gentleman. Yes. Uh, turns out his cousin is uh, Dr. Catherine Crock, who who is the uh, um, doctor, uh, paediatrician working at the Royal Children's, who. Um, Developed the idea of the, The, the of the Hush Foundation, who founded the Hush Foundation. And that's just Uh, a coincidence. uh, Yeah, just, yeah, they they were, you know, they were cousins, so it's purely (laughs) as simple as that. I was chatting with this, this fellow, I have a cup of coffee, and we are trying trying to think of something we can do in the semi, he said, why don't you have a chat with my cousin? (laughs) uh, And then, then, uh, well, uh, my, wife my wife worked at the royal children 's the first thing she did when she came to Australia from England was work at the royal childrens so uh, so we, you know, I, I do have um, several people I know extremely well who come from that field and and uh, I, I guess anyone who works in hospitals, hospital' it's one of the things you you discover is uh, because of the nature of what people are doing there 's a uh, how can I put it? A little bit of a, a little bit of a military atmos- atmosphere sometimes that develops in hospitals. Yes. Uh, they, 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 it really depends on the people, but they, but b- because it's high pressure and so difficult, uh, sometimes the technology takes over. And, and what uh, Dr. Crock has been attempting to do is is to find means to to improve the atmosphere uh, of hospitals and. And especially music, mm. uh, using music as a as a uh, as as a part of the healing process, um, and and especially with children, with yes. teenagers in particular. And right. um, so she developed this relationship with the idea of North, with, and the, and the idea of North are an acapella group. Um, um, they, they've been um, singing together over a number of years. Uh, they're Australia's leading acapella group. Uh, they actually, soon after they formed, they, they entered a competition in America. And uh, acapella uh, singing, you know, singing without instruments, that is, um, is taken very seriously in, in America. You know, the barbershop uh, barber quartet uh, <laughs> scene is a big deal in America. Right. And uh, this group actually won this major competition. That's wow. That's mostly the first thing they did. So they're, 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 they're outstanding singers, number mm. one. And... Um, and the, and then they 've been connected with the Hush Foundation and doing projects for the Hush Foundation, exploring those things. I might say the Hush Foundation goes beyond music though it also includes theater and okay. the, yeah it's quite quite unusual things in order to, as I said, um, uh, improve the the workings of hospitals, turn them into introduce a little bit more. Gentleness. Yeah, gentleness, a little bit more humanity into to the processes that go on behind the scenes in are hospitals.
0: They, are they tied into the um, hospital clowns? A, I'm not too sure. Some of the sure. doctors, the yeah, clown I'm not, project as well. Yeah, and, and well, that's, a, that's another aspect of the same yeah. thing,
2: I suppose. So th- this, is, this is something which is building up. But the interesting thing with the Hush Foundation, it was founded at the Royal Children's uh, in Melbourne, it has uh, since been taken up by all the other children 's hospitals around australia, oh. so there 's quite a few of them it 's moving overseas and and also is extending into other hospitals so it's, it's, it's actually, um, develop, it 's actually it 's filling a need mm. and uh, just needs a gentle push and so, <laughs> so what we 're doing in December is uh, towards that end so Fantastic. Um, so we 're we're, we're just um, um, providing the venue pretty well, and and uh, the singers come along. They're, they're putting on a couple of shows that weekend uh, indoors, fortunately. So, uh, 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 and so we're, we're an outdoor um, um, venue, and so we take that risk. But the singers have, uh, 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 have agreed to take that risk, okay. <laughs> which is actually quite serious when you think about it. Yes, um, yes. and uh, uh, so, the, you know, about uh, eight, uh, nine chances out of ten The weather's lovely But there's one chance out of ten it's not so. That's right <laughs> So we have to deal with that yep. um, And Christmas carols, that's an obvious thing It's on the 13th, Friday the 13th uh, Normally our events are on Saturdays But um, but in this case they're, they're already b- uh, booked for the um, Saturday mm-hmm. So it's on the Friday the 13th of December and as I said, it's it's much well, it's quite a big deal. It's it's the biggest thing we've tackled really. Wow. Um, in all these years. So that's how many in the group? Um, there's five. Okay. Yep. And and um, um, purely a cappella. Although <laughs> I discovered one of them is a perc- is a percussionist. All right. Except. <laughs> it's all vocal, <laughs> of course, <laughs> so this is going to be really interesting oh it is, um but if you listen to Radio National at all, will you 'd be hear their music because they are being featured and and their their work with the Hush Foundation has also been promoted quite a lot on radio national at the moment, mm. so just just keep a ear out on radio national
0: fantastic
2: um so that that's the beginning, and then we then we, last year we we had um the Melbourne Opera Trust putting on a recital with several of their singers on the Australia Day weekend in January, and the same will happen this weekend, although we're still waiting to see who the singers will be because they're, they're running their auditions as we speak. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, we'll so it'll be that. the Australia Day weekend? It'll be the Australia Day weekend. It'll be Saturday the 25th. Uh, there'll be four singers, maybe five, and we're hoping to have a theme to it, but we're still I'm, I'm waiting on the... Uh, the director of the um, trust to to let me know exactly how it all pans out <laughs> at the moment. Emails going backwards and forwards very yes, right. rapidly at the moment. Right. Um, and then it goes on from there. We, we have the Evergreen Ensemble coming in, uh, I can kind of thing of the date. I think it's the 22nd, 22nd. twenty Oh, yeah. thank you, Pam. Twenty <laughs> second of February, and the Evergreen Ensemble is a splinter group of the um, uh, Pinchcut Opera. Uh, musicians, so they're all very serious musicians. Again, they're being featured quite a bit on Radio National at, uh, at the moment. Um, the, uh, the, 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 it's uh, mainly female, in fact, it's an entirely female group, uh, but playing period instruments from the 18th and 17th centuries. And the theme uh, this year is uh, Ireland. Okay, we've yummy. been going through Scotland and Scandinavia yes, yes. And, and last year was Brittany. It's all a Celtic fringe when you think about yes, it. It is. And, yes. uh, but now the heart of the Celtic fringe, Ireland.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. So, so that's happening in February. And finally we have Ozak coming, putting on Shakespeare in the long weekend in March, 12th night. Um, so they're, they're coming on the, the um, Saturday and Sunday and on uh, that, that weekend. Mm. Um, slightly... Late for the tw- twelfth night—it's a Christmassy thing, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> but but all the same, um, um, uh, that that should be great fun.
0: Excellent. Now you do you do um, uh, invite people to arrive early?
2: Yeah. So for anyone who's not been, we we use the theatre in the middle of Cloud Hill. There's room there for um, to heading towards three hundred people. Um, and people bring, the idea is you bring in picnics, bring a fold-up chair. Um. Uh, Not too a, tall. <laughs> yeah. Ideally a fold-up beach chair, that's so you can sit and be yes. The, um, the, uh, the area is a sloping lawn with a, um, with a hedge running around it, with a beach hedge. I mean, discovered a couple of years ago that it, it's absolutely ideal for opera singers. Uh, it, it kind of holds the sound and opera singers, uh, they're, they're good, loud singers, opera singers, and everyone enjoys the music, and you have the chance to hear some pretty serious singing fairly close up. It's, mm. it's great fun. Mm. Um, and uh, as I said, room there for uh, uh, two, 300 people. Uh, people come along nice and early, have their picnics, and, and then assemble on the lawn. And um, um, the the show... The shows well, very according to the time of the year. But the shows generally run from round about half past six to half past eight, nine o'clock. Yep. But by March, it's it's starting more like six and going through to eight, and using up that twilight period. And so even even the start on the night will vary depending on whether there's any cloud around. If it's a nice, bright evening, we'll start a bit later.
0: Yep, fair enough.
2: Um, and we just make sure that it's all finishings so that people can climb out of the garden without falling over steps and that sort of thing. Exactly. We just need a little bit of light. It's yes. also
1: nice to get back on the road before it's completely dark. Yep. Yep, in terms so, of hitting and, and, it's, and, 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 it's,
2: and, and it's a nice early night. And, and, of course, part of the deal is just to walk around the garden. The garden, the, 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 we've absolutely pulled the garden apart over the winter and we're filling in all the gaps we've created. And most, the, and the, the main borders are all summer borders, really. There's certainly the, the herbaceous perennials are all flowering in summer. Mm. And so it, why
1: did you pull the garden apart so dramatically? Um,
2: oh, I, I was growing tired of certain things that that, that were just boring. <laughs> <laughs> so Kulkwitzia, which which should have been fabulous, but it was still never flowering properly. Mine's was,
1: flowering massively just uh, at the moment.
2: Yeah, well mine just well I I sat and watched it for. What seven or eight years and, and it never fl- it was just flowering a little bit and it was taking up and an it takes room.
1: up a lot of i 've got a philadelphus like that it 's going out next week yep <laughs> so <laughs> i've given it i 've <laughs> given it years all it does is it climbs into trees i mean it 's a really irritating plant and it will not flower
2: so anyway b- we, 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 we had a lot of fun creating gaps over the winter and now we're having a lot of fun filling them up again. That's the best and, part. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. what
1: else bit the dust along with the cold woods here?
2: Um, well, Philadelphia, yeah, we did pull out one of those as well. Oh, I mean, the they're, they're flowering over, the loveliest they're flowering, but it's, uh, it's short. Yes, yeah, 10 days or so each spring and then it's a And you get fairly boring plant from then on. Exactly, and you get the heavy weather too, and uh,
1: it loses the flowers under all the rain and the wind. I
2: I must say, I was really disappointed with the cockweed seed because I've grown it before and and, and it really performed well. And normally it flowers over a reasonable period, and then the seed capsules make it interesting from then on. Mm -hmm. And then the growth habit is quite useful as well. In in our case, our conditions were a little bit too soft and it just encouraged too much growth, Growth, hmm. not much flower. And so we're losing in every possible way. We just have this enormous, straggling, boring shrub. (laughs) And and there are uh, quite a few plants in that category which uh, we can grow but actually perform better in Melbourne. On the other hand, we, we have this huge range of plants that we can really grow nicely. Like peonies. Yeah, not too many other people. By golly, one thing I've I've noticed in the last um, week or two is the intersectional peonies, these new ones, are absolutely outstanding. What I'm finding is that the flowers are much more weatherproof and thinking of the weather we've had in the last 10 days, I can think of one uh, of these new intersectional peonies that opened the flower just in time for the how much rain have we had now? It's it's heading towards uh, 150 mil, and and in amongst it was quite a bit of sleet and mm, hail. Yes, mm. and and this flower is still pristine. It's come through this all this weather of the last ten days. Fantastic, and it's, and it's still fine. Yep, no other penny would come anywhere near that for. Cheer weather resistance mm. And it's a fabulous flower too Soft lemon I'm not too sure of its name I have to admit But it's a double uh, uh, okay. uh, Lemon flower but, um, but a beautiful flower And so weather resistant But well, we have about Five or six of them And uh, all of them Seem to be Much more weather resistant Than traditional peonies Either the herbaceous Or the trees Right Yep yeah. Because the beauty of these new ones is that they have no chilling requirements. People can grow them into beachside suburbs. That's they're much right. more compact. Yes. They seem to produce much more flour earlier on than the others. Um, there's still not many of them available yet. They're very new to Australia. They, oh they're, yes. They're, they are. They're, they're only been available over the last five or six years. But they um,
1: are the peony that you could grow in Melbourne. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, they mm-hmm. yep.
2: grow anywhere in Melbourne. If, they'd still need drainage if you um, if, if you on clay soil, I'd, I'd suggest a raised bed, but it doesn't need to be raised very much. Mm. And then beyond that, uh, at least half a day sunshine, and, mm. and pretty well that's all they need.
0: And the size of the flowers on some of them is extraordinary too. Very
2: dramatic. And and the other thing I'm noticing is they produce a lot of bud um, and the flowering is spread out over a much longer period. So they have about twice to three times the flowering period Mm. of flowers that individually are much more robust Mm. and yet have the elegance of of, um, both the parents really. Mm. So these are absolutely outstanding and Mm. I'm just becoming to appreciate this now.
1: Yes, right. And uh, and I assume as they have been here for, as it becomes more common, that the price should come down a bit too. Yep. Because they are a, pretty hefty. It, they in are both. hefty
2: because they have to be divided. In effect, they're not easy to propagate, like all pennies of. Uh, the herbaceous are the only ones that are easy to propagate, and uh, of course they're they're, uh, they're very cheap. But <laughs> so few people can grow them well. They do need winter chilling, That's and, right. and and unless you've got the correct winter chilling, um, you just end up with this green thing without any flowers, mm. which is a bit pointless. It
3: is, yeah.
0: Okay, fantastic. But you'd
2: you'd be able to grow. All of the peonies. Um, yeah, we, we can grow the herbaceous. And, of course, the but herbaceous so the are grown commercially uh, in our area. And Sylvan and wandan. you see mm. paddocks of them, strips of them mm. flowering quite well. Because um, mine, mine
1: are just coming into flower and they're all herbaceous. They're just right, coming into flower okay. now.
2: And the, the trees also can be grown all the way through Melbourne. And, 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 um, and the, the, there's no chilling requirement for the tree peonies no, as well. No, that's right. But the, um, the intersectionals, the hybrids between the trees and the herbaceous, which I might add again was one of these really difficult crosses. Uh, they're sometimes called Ito hybrids. That's right. Mr. Ito was the Japanese gentleman who who managed to uh, get these two to cross. He spent his life doing it, and other people have tried all their lives without doing it beforehand. <laughs> so people, you know, people have been trying to achieve this cross for 100 years, mm until Mr Ito managed to do it. Um, I think he only just managed to flower one or two and and, then sadly he died. He he spent his entire life doing it and he just managed to do it before he died. And now one or two Americans are flat out doing it and and, and, and working with these new plants and um, gradually um, uh, more and more will become available.
3: Mm.
0: Do you know where around Melbourne they are available, Jeremy? Who has Um, them?
2: Well, well, Ronnie Bookall is the gentleman who's doing most of the work with all the peonies, with right, the trees yes. and with the uh, Ito hybrids, the yep. intersectional hybrids, um, and um, he's uh, supplying a number of nurseries. He does supply the um, the diggers' Nursery, so uh, we okay. do have them. So you do have them, yep. okay. Yep. Um, not a lot. There's only um, three or four at the moment, but... I think that's about 10 or 12 altogether, and there's a good range of colours. They tend to be, they follow the lutea hybrids a bit, so there's the flame colours, the yellows, the, um, the, the flame pinks, um, um, but there's a, there's a crimson, there's a, there's a good white.
1: And what sort of price are diggers charging for them?
2: Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, think, I think they're around about uh, $20, $25 or thereabouts. So they're not a huge amount, but uh, uh, but they they will sort of drift down as as the material yes, builds yes, up.
0: Yes, yes, fantastic.
1: Sue has just sent a photo of um, she's obviously listening to us, and she sent a lovely photo of one of her peonies.
2: Yeah, that's it. Looks like souvenir the Maxim Cornu, um, which is really interesting. Uh, we're talking about Monet's Garden. We just briefly mentioned Monet's Garden earlier, and that. Uh, And there's a little group of these very early lutea hybrids um, bred by Lemoyne, who's one of the great nursery figures of all time, who's a great mate of Monet. And if you go to Monet's garden, uh, you actually see these original uh, Lemoyne hybrids. uh, And they are the original plants because they live hundreds of years, of course. Right. Um, And um, so there's that strong connection with Monet's garden. Uh, and those first lutea hybrids, um, Lemoyne was breeding for uh, doubles. <laughs> so most of them are doubles. And they do have a fault. They tend to be nodding, but they're very dramatic flowers. Mm. And uh, Souvenir de Maxim cornue is is, uh, is one of the great ones and and one of the first as well.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Um,
2: Lesperance. Um, yeah, <laughs> i have to go back to my books to remember the rest. Yes, there's yes. not many. There's three, or f- there's three or four of them okay. that are associated with Lemoyne and and Verney. Uh,
0: yep, yep. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so uh, do give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 941901 double five to speak to Jeremy or Virginia or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Virginia, let's get back to one of your plants. Well, I,
1: I have an elder. I have one, two, three, four, five elders in the garden, four different ones. The actual elder that it grows wild and is a bit weedy, it took me three attempts to get a tree. Right. I had to keep, rep- I mean, replacing a weedy elder seems ridiculous, but that's what <laughs> I had to do. And I was determined to grow it because I want to, at some stage, get around to making some elderflower cordial yep. or wine or elderberry wine. And then, of course, Stephen has the National Collection of Sambucus with Plant Trust. Yes. And I got another one from him, which I rather like. It's got a very, very fine leaf. And then one time when I was back in London, I saw this wonderful, uh, uh, I think it's called Black Lace elder, which has a very, and I think I put a photo of this on Facebook, I hope so. If not, I'll do it after the show. And it has a very dark leaf, almost purple, with a greener underside. And instead of having the white flowers that you usually see from an elderberry, it has pink, a really lovely pink flowers, and I've got a whole lot of trees to the south of the house where I grow things that are don't want north wind. Mm. So I've got three or four different dogwoods there. I've brought one of the dogwoods in. I put that up. I've got the pink dogwood, which is Florida. I've got this one, and I've got two of these this elder, and I'm just—they're all, all just coming out in flower now, and I've got some very, very big salvias in there, and a few camellias, which were all in flower in winter. Now they've all finished, and all the spring-flowering trees are coming out. So, I really like it, and yeah. and I think this, I, this pink—it's funny. I I didn't like pink in the garden. My garden is so pink, and the bits that aren't pink are incredibly orange. <laughs> And when I had a garden in London, I never grew orange. I thought it was just too hard. But, of course, the light here is so it's different. so different, yes. Uh, that growing really... I mean, the white garden in Sissinghurst is just one of those things that's truly stunning, whereas a white garden here in February just
2: disappears
1: mm. in that heat and in that hotness, that brightness. Yes, that looks exactly like it. Jeremy, what's that one called?
2: Well, that's, one th- that's uh, Sambucus nigra, guincho uh, purple.
1: Yes, I'm sure this was black lace, but
2: yeah, yeah. There, there is a one with a narrow leaf as well, um, which which we have, and there's a, even a, so with a dark narrow leaf. There's even one with a green narrow leaf, um, and I, I find the ones with the dissected leaves are um, a little bit more resistant to. Pear slug, I don't know if you have a problem with pear slug with yours.
1: I don't, ha- I, I haven't found it in any of the right, sunbooks. Right, okay. Something including about, the ordinary one. <laughs> I, <mean, laughs> no, I do yeah. I do get it in my amelanchia. Yeah. It gets the pear mm. slug. And I've yeah. got cherry trees and they just get completely slaughtered. Yes. Yeah. But then they get slaughtered. I mean, the cherries get slaughtered by the birds. The trees get slaughtered by the cherries. I mean, luckily they're sort of down... Away down near the grapes, so I just ignore them because they're such a nightmare. Yeah, uh,
2: the, um, uh, yes, we're, we're growing a, a few of the sambucus, including the golden one. Uh, what's that, plumosa sambucus uh, plumosa aurea, I think, which is a very d- a dramatic golden leaf shrub um, with the flowers with a bit of hint of red in the uh, the buds as the flowers built up. Oh, I must get And, that and I underplanted it with a, a sonchus. I'm not too sure uh, which one it is, but the sonchus are incredible. <laughs> this, this is accidental, and I'm looking at it now, and I can find it hard to believe the sonchus actually can manage in the, the shade of the Sambucus. The, uh, the sonchus only grows about a metre high. The, what the Sanchez is, is a shrubby daisy. It is. A lawn daisy with much the same leaves and much the same flowers except about a hundred times the size. Right. But growing on a shrub about a metre high. Okay. And, and ours is flowering right now. So ha, are you?
1: Mm. I've got two Sanchez's and neither of them are in flower. Oh, well,
2: ours is flowering so... Hurrah. Yeah, boo sucks to you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and,
2: uh, no, so, uh, well, ours would have about 15, 20 flowers open at the moment. Really? And, and it's tucked in well this this was a really sunny spot uh, a few years ago but now the sambucus is taking it all <laughs> and throwing casting a lot of shade over this and so d- the sanches amazingly the sanches carries on so I'm, I'm really intrigued by this How do you
1: propagate the sanches
2: Well I've never tried to it's it's just growing quite happily here. Um, but just thinking of of hybrids the sanches of course is actually related to the lawn daisy Okay. And and, and um, but the lawn daisy. Well, there you go. <laughs> One of the world's more amazing weeds. Yes. And and you don't think of the flower as handsome at all until it's a hundred times the size. I think Oh, actually, that is rather a handsome flower. I, I just need a magnifying glass when I'm looking at a lawn daisy next right. time. But the, uh, the, the Sanchez, you, you don't need a magnifying glass. There it is. Uh, it's, it's just very dramatic and handsome. Mm. And, what and, sort and Even li- the what leaves are rather handsome.
1: Have you got the, the very, very narrow-leafed leaf?
2: No, no. It's a good, um, um, broad, arrow-shaped leaf.
1: I've got one which I've got. Yeah, there are several. I've got one one where the leaf is, it's incredibly fine and dissected.
2: Yeah.
1: And I haven't seen it in flower yet.
2: Yes, you do wonder a bit. um, But, uh, you know, I, I agree this with a little bit of trepidation, I suppose, just thinking, well, it is a. Shrubby lawn daisy is it going to behave like a shrubby <laughs> lawn daisy uh, and no hint of it seeding mm. and no hint of it hybridising With lawn daisies either the thank goodness so but I don't imagine it can it's it's do
1: you grow the montanoa as well the Mexican tree daisy ah
2: uh, uh, I've got one in the pot growing quite happily but uh, but um, I've it got
1: it, two yeah. and I cut them down completely down to ankle height. And they grow 20 foot in a year. Wow.
2: And, and, then, and then
1: burst into daisy, I mean, daisy flowers. Yeah. And, but right up there, 20 foot up. Right. Uh, yeah. They're extraordinary. I mean, they flower all over. They flower right down as well. They're extraordinary, but they, they just do so much growth so quickly. I, I first saw it, it used to be in the perennial border in the botanic gardens. So it's not there anymore. I don't know why. I,
2: I don't know why that possibly could be, but <laughs> maybe something about growing six metres high in, in six weeks. But,
1: well, it does, no, it doesn't happen in six weeks. I mean, it's now probably as tall as me. How tall okay. am I? Five foot something or other. Five foot four. But it will be up to... Um, and I've got a fur craia at the moment that's got a 30-foot flower on it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's extraordinary. I mean, again, it's not in the slightest bit interesting as a flower, except that it is 30-foot high.
2: Uh, I must say, some of these plants are just incredible. And um, yeah, I have a little groups so and take them around. And 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 um, the sonchas are sitting in the in a narrow path, so it's only good for a small group. But uh, I take them up. And I, what do you think of that plant? What do you think that might be related to? And people look at it. Looks a bit like a daisy. They say. On steroids. <laughs> yes, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> There's no mistaking it. It's, I think
1: I'm going to have to come and look at your sonches mm. because mine is certainly not in flower. And the fur I noticed Craig is actually selling fur Okay. So if somebody is interested in having a flower, I, it has been in the garden for uh, probably five years and it's just flowered. Okay. And I expect it to die after flowering, although it's putting out pups. But... Craig at Gentiana Nursery, just down from Cloud Hill, he's definitely got Fecraea. I very rarely see them anywhere. And um, I went to Ye one year for, you know, they have a whole lot of open gardens. Yes. And virtually every single garden had Fecraea in flower. It was just extraordinary. And one, <laughs> one man was on, because, you know, is ye's quite hilly. Yes. And on the highest hill in his property, he'd planted the Fecraeas. So you always were standing below them. And they were this massive, you know, 20, 30-foot-high flowers. And it was just extraordinary. And um, they had, again, it was another one that was in the botanic gardens and is no more, and they were throwing some out. So I grabbed, grabbed them. Yes, right. And I planted three under my pine trees. And they are still ankle height. They haven't moved an inch. Right. And I planted this one down by the red shed. And the the focraia itself is about five foot wide and five foot tall. And then the flower is, you know, 30 foot up. So it's extraordinary. It's an amazing plant. And as I said, Craig actually has them. So go and have a look at Gentiana if you have enough room. I mean, this is the role of, you know, gardens like mine or Jeremy's or the botanic gardens is to grow things that people can't possibly grow in their own garden because they're too
2: damn big. Yes, yes. I was just checking, they come in under the agave acia. Yes. So they're related to, and they they're in the, yeah, in the agave. So they
1: they come from the dry West Indies, I yeah,
2: think. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they look a bit like in an agave. Mm. Um, and I've got uh, the
1: beshenoria in flower at the moment, so, too, which uh, is But I imagine
2: that's right. They, they would be... In effect, monocarpic, except that they throw out pups as they flower.
1: And this is interesting. There's pups in the flowers. Yeah. Which I haven't seen before. I haven't seen that in agaves. I mean, you know, there are pups in the flowers. So if I can get up to some of them, I'll (laughs) propagate them. (laughs) Just wait till it all falls apart. But the ones under the pine trees have not moved. Right. They've been there for years. Yeah. And I can't be bothered digging them up, so they just stay there and, yep. and they're, they're nothing. But this one down by the Red Shed where, you know, the pine trees are just further away, just shows how much pines discourage oh, growth yes. underneath them.
0: That's right. Yep.
1: Although I've got a rose under them and that's going fine. Okay.
3: Very,
1: mm. <laughs> mm.
2: Very strange.
0: Jeremy, you've brought in a couple of other plants we haven't mentioned.
2: Oh, um, what else? Yes. Well, agastache, a a relatively new one, that's salmon pink, but... uh, um, They're great little doers, aren't they? Oh, they they are. And again, uh, well... uh, we, we we do a little bit of a chuck out each season with our borders and, and also dividing plants, the clumps that have just got too big. Yep. Agapanthus, we've been um, um, cutting our clumps back by about 90%. Okay. <laughs> Replanting. Uh, and suddenly there's a good gap and and things like Agustache are perfect. Uh, uh, we, we find they're good for they're short lived, I find. Um, although I think in a, a in how short lived? Yeah, in a well, probably our soils uh, um, um, and our winter dank. Uh, they they um, we tend to lose things like agrostache over the winter. But in a drier garden, uh, in a uh, garden on the beach, for instance, most probably they're much longer lived.
1: Well, I've I've got them up on the top of the ridge because yep. I'm on the ridge and they just they disappear every winter and they come back every spring okay yeah, I've got well, them with the Russian, Russian sage up yeah, there, the Perovskia.
2: I, for us, yeah, the Perovskia is reliably perennial. With us, with us, uh, the uh, Agostashi is, um, well, good for two or three years or so. But I think it's just our conditions. Okay. A little bit too soft. Uh, they prefer harder going, yep. which is the thing. They, they have lovely perfume foliage, a lovely minty freshness of the foliage and flowering over a very long time very drought-tolerant, mm. lap up the sunshine, mm. um, and um, occurring in a range of colours from sort of interesting ochre yellows through to salmon pinks, uh, one or two crimsons, and, and also purples. the blue mows, mm. yeah, and purples, yeah, which tend to be uh, taller. Um, so a, a useful range of colours, and also there's foliage that... Uh, Means that if you plant them hard by a path and you brush past them, you you notice the perfume mm. uh, drifting through the air mm. from the foliage. So mm. beautiful things.
0: That yeah. one's very pretty, very de- delicate. Yeah, uh, it?
2: it's one of the best for. Um, well, it's just you know, it's it's um, just in a six inch pot. Well, not even a six inch pot, and and uh, flowering uh, uh, straight into flowering. So it just flowers and flowers.
1: Mm. Where do they come from? Do you know?
2: Uh, yeah, good I'd question. I suspect the Americas, uh, but I'll it yes, yes, up if you like. I don't now, know. The, not the not other one matter. is the, Nicot, uh, Nicotiana, one of the one of the tobaccos, uh, oh, lance yes. uh, which is, you know it's a uh, it's one of those things that has been around for a long time, but you you never see very much of it. But it's rather elegant. With um, um, it's, it's one of the smaller tobaccos, only gets to about knee high, and um, with uh, flowers which are um, a lime yellow mm. and a, a rather interesting uh, elegant little flowers sort of thing the sort of flowers that botanical artists uh, find intriguing um, and, and the, that lime yellow colour I, I find it's pretty useful too uh, um, soft yellows creamy yellows lime yellows I love uh, the lime yellows They you go into a sort of a strong yellow then you, uh, you have to mm. think <laughs> as you place a plant but, but this colour is something which goes just about everywhere Mm.
3: Mm.
0: does that one have a perfume because some
3: Uh, of the Nicotianas
2: have an an evening perfume don't they yeah look I'm not aware of it but but, um, I've spent too much time farming and too much wheat dust Someone knows it's dreadful (laughs) 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 yes Uh, I
1: do I've got I've got a much larger Nicotiana and it's just gorgeous and I've planted it with the Digiplexus and you know, it's a really nice combination. Yeah, and, yeah it's similar conditions. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm very happy with them. Mm. But do you grow Watsonia as well?
2: Uh, I do have one or two. I was just looking up uh, yeah, it's all over the place. Hilly habitats, China, Japan, USA, Mexico. Oh, there so you go. So that's a kind of an interesting combination, isn't it? it? Is, East, isn't East Asia and, and then Central America. Yeah. Um, there's a, quite a strong connection between American plants uh, and Asian plants Going from one side of the, the Pacific to the other And you, that crops up all, all the time And things like the American tulip tree uh, There's only two tulip trees One's Chinese, one's American mm. And, and you, you see that in so many plants but in this case, it's jumping from Asia to Central America, and that's not quite so common. No.
1: Mm. No, oh. well, you, could virtu- you can virtually walk from Alaska into Asia. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Which is...
2: Except it's too cold and yeah, wet. Yeah, <laughs> which is what happened a few thousand years ago. Mm. And, mm, that, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, but then there's also all those plants that you, you only get from, you know, Chile through to Australia. You
2: know, yeah, the and, and they're they uh, yeah co- they're a good example the of the continental drift and tectonic plates and, and uh, yes the the uh, the um, southern yeah. beach the, yeah, North the of Vegas and and, and,
1: yeah. and the, all the Araucarias yeah, the the southern hemisphere yeah. pine trees yeah. Yeah. although of course they did they are in the northern hemisphere in the fossil record mm. but they're only growing now from Australia through to Chile.
2: Yeah, they they. Uh, most well, of them. The, the, the beach, I in fact, I had a little group in from California yesterday showing them around. And that was really interesting, all keen horticulturalists and looking. And, the, and of course, Cloud Hill's covered in beech trees. And we use beech in our hedges, but we're, we're just covered in beech trees. And, uh, and a number of the nothophagus, uh, the myrtle beach, which is as lovely a beach as there is, it's, it's one of the most stunning trees. And uh, the local Myrtle Beach, which you see growing naturally just fractionally higher than the Dandenongs, uh, just above Warburton, mm. uh, what, around about uh, 900 metres or so. Uh, gone a classic Gondwana land tree, the uh, New Zealand beach, the Tasmanian beach, the, the the ones from Chile and Argentina. They're all not the Fagus. And then you go to the Northern Hemisphere, it's you've got the Fagus. Mm. Um, it would be a bit of a thing to try and find someone who can hybridise a phagus with a nothophagus, would There <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they look completely different because most of the nothophagus are evergreen, whereas the Fagus are all deciduous. There's not many Fagus. There's only about seven or eight species, I think. But nothophagus, there's quite a variety of them. There's about, what, 45, 50, mainly South Americans. But there's a few deciduous ones amongst them. There's one... One Tasmania, one of course, and several in South America, and but the fagus connect all the world's cool climate forests. Mm. It, it's the one tree you can think of. Uh, wherever there's a cool climate forest, there's a fagus okay. or not a fagus. Yes, mm. yeah.
1: There you go. Mm.
3: All
0: right, we must get to our uh, caller. We have uh, Karen in Westwood's Grey. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Cam. How are you going? Yeah,
3: really well. Um, I'm becoming obsessed with the little weed that's taking over my front lawn, not much lawn as it is, and nature's stripping all around our neighbourhood. Now, it's got, you know, the little burrs you used to get in your socks? Yes. Um, and it sends out runners. And last year we had it a little bit, but this year it's, I'm becoming totally obsessed and I'm going to have not very much lawn left because it seems to suffocate the other grass. Is, is you
1: know it the bindi? It is? Does it oh, I don't know if it's does it hurt when you when you get it on you does it hurt you no no it's no. not bindi
3: they're little burrs i think like, they're bindi are fairly large
1: t- burrs they're they're quite big and they're painful no and they're no painful. it's not
3: bindi because bindi wreck your car you have bike ties when you're riding yes but no this is these are tiny little burrs
0: okay you used to get on your socks and
3: stuff as oh yes if the walking. really
0: tiny ones yep
3: yeah but this thing is so invasive it's like, I think my mum's front nature strip, it, that's all it is at the moment. Maybe around the corner, I saw her out there, and, and she's become as obsessed as me trying to get rid of it. But it is everywhere. Little yellow flowers it has. Right. And then they um, have burrs. Mm. They develop into these burrs. But it's, it sends out these runners, and you you almost run your hands along runners and you scoop them up so it comes back to the stem Mm. and then you can try and pull it out which has got a long root on it but it's highly invasive oh
0: it sounds awful so
3: i don't even think i want to make a weed tea out of it i want to just well i don't want to poison it it. but no no but i really can't i can't manage it by like every time i go out to the car i stop and have a little pull of some more of it and then i have to wash my hands before i go out for the day Mm. then i come home and i look at it and go there's another one there's another one Mm. yes it's Quite extreme. So unless I have to take it over to Pointins or something and get it identified, but it's horrible and it is right round the neighbourhood. Goodness, mm. no, oh, no suggestions.
1: I don't know what it is. I no,
2: thought, I'm wondering a bit whether it's it might be something related to the bindi though. There, I think there's there's more than one weed <laughs> that uh, uh, from that family. That's um, yeah. yeah. Um, All right,
3: I'm going to I'm going to package you up something, Pam, and I'm going to send it off. I, I think to that, you. Okay. I, I think that's
2: the main thing. Yeah. yeah we just, we just need just to take identify it. Yeah. Take it to a, a nursery and figure out what it is. Yeah. Um and, um. and someone should be able to identify it quite quickly. And
1: and if you send a bit in to Pam so she can observe it, and next maybe there'll be somebody here next week who is more familiar with
0: it. Well, Stephen sure. will be back on next week, so. Maybe
3: right, you great. know, but mm. <laughs> I'd like to give you a challenge. Yeah. Yes, I, I, yes, Well, oh, you've s- set us one. Absolutely. You've got yeah. us all stumped all right. at the moment. Because my worst okay.
1: weed at the moment is the cape weed, which is also a yellow daisy, but mm. much bigger. Yep. And yep. Yeah, and it's all, no, all over. All over. Oh, yep. it's horrible. I'm really unhappy about yes. it. <laughs>
3: okay, we'll see what we well, can, can find come out. you can pull
2: mine out instead if you like. <laughs> <laughs> <or> change. So funny with the cape weed. It's <laughs> obviously South African. Mm. Uh, and mm. I, I can tell you some areas in Western Australia in the out of wheat belt where it's the only thing that grows. Yes. <laughs> yeah, entire yes. landscapes covered in it, and and uh, it's it's ninety nine percent capeweed How shocking! Mm. Yeah, it's. And what
1: would have been there before?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, lots of native things. Mm. Yeah, this All is not a native. Yeah, mm. yeah and uh, this has just taken over.
1: Well, it took over at my place during the drought. That's when it really got its look mm. in.
2: Yeah, and it and it and it grows in it it, it has a, it takes advantage of these very short seasons uh, and, and grows and and smothers everything. Hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay, Karen? Anyway, Thanks, guys. I'll All right. Sorry, we can't Have help you day. more. That's Bye. Okay.
3: Bye. Bye. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, yes. That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five, to speak to Jeremy or Virginia. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 9419 8377. Do you have any more garden openings coming up, Virginia, or is that it for the year? That's it for the year,
1: I think. Um, I'm suggesting that we'll have an outing for the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club in autumn. Oh, yes. For us all to go and, you know, have a look at some of the gardens because they're so different again. Yes, yes. But I've been asked... To open in the Open Garden Scheme next year. Okay. Which I might do. I mean, two days is quite a lot, really, especially if it's huge numbers. But Yes. I, I often um, you know, have garden clubs come through, and I, I like that because they are smaller. I like it if I've
2: got 20 people. That's mm. so
1: excessively yeah. manageable yes
2: yeah between 10 and 20 is ideal yeah. yes yes <laughs> yes, yes <yeah.
1: laughs> <You know. laughs> okay and garden clubs are lovely because they'll bring you plants as well you know they turn up and that is like some of the people i spoke recently to the croydon garden club which is a really nice garden club if you live in croydon i advise you to join it and um quite a few of them turned up for the open garden okay and brought me Geraniums, real geraniums, not pelargoniums. And I was so thrilled. It was so nice. It was exciting. Yeah, no, that's lovely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what about about, um, guided walks? Have you got uh, any walks coming up? I've got one in December. But
1: we don't do as many as we used to, and I find I'm just not doing as many, which is a great pity. Right. But uh, let me look up my December one and see, because I like it when I get um, people Three CR people coming through—it's always exciting.
2: So, how many people do you gen- generally have on the uh, guided tours for to the? It's the gardens it is
1: so unpredictable. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, I've had I've had twenty, yeah, and I've had one.
2: Okay. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> and there doesn't seem to me to be any um, any logic to it. Um, it's just what happens on the day. Hmm. If I if. If it's um, a, a one that I've announced on air, I sometimes get more people. But you get you get people from interstate, you get people from overseas. Then suddenly, I, one one of the best walks I ever did I, was with one.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. because i I've found that myself just uh, in the last few weeks because we did a little bit of a thing with the um, uh, Terrawarra, uh, the the art gallery and. Um, uh, just out from they had the um, Archibald yes. uh, prize uh, paintings on sh- uh, display. It's just finished and uh, we did a little bit of a promotion so anyone going to the uh, Archibald uh, 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 paintings could come along to Cloud Hill and, and so there was uh, two or three times during the week and I was just meeting people and showing them around. Uh, Jeremy, yes, I try and have there I say 15 <laughs> before I do this sort of thing. But in this, on this occasion, I found there were people who were travelling from interstate, going to Hillsville, and then Cutting across, or, or even then coming to us uh, two days later, making a special trip. So okay. what do you do? You, 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 you have, you, to, do you you have to do it. You everything and do it. That's right. And, yeah, it was really yes, interesting. You, I have to say, and, and you're not talking, close to Tarawarra. Yeah, and just talking to two or three people, uh, showing them around was was kind of an interesting thing to do. I mean, you, you, business-wise, completely pointless, but, but fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, There's a chance to... Uh, Yeah, you're always talking to passionate people. Exactly, And 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 that makes so much difference. Well,
1: when Mm. I do the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club, and that happens at this time every year, and when I do that, which I do about every five years, it's fantastic because the numbers are smaller so you can do more talking. I I do find with the open garden scheme it can get... I mean, I feel like the Pied Piper of Hamelin, you know, this queue of people... (laughs) behind me dropping off then the next one saying now can you come and look at this please and and it, you just lose the intimacy yes uh, which is a pity but I am doing a garden walk at the botanic gardens walk on the, the morning of the 14th of December okay so uh, that would be and that will be good if people would like to come I would love that what time do they start again? Eugene? Half past ten? Half and, past and ten well, uh, in December. What's going to centre? be looking
2: good in the uh, Bot Gardens in December? Well, I mean, December.
1: it's one of the interesting things with the Bot Gardens because it is um, so managed. There's always something. But the perennial border really starts to look good from December and, and is probably the only thing in February that looks good anywhere. I mean, in February, I won't let people near my garden. You know, <laughs> yes. I just can't keep looking. But the Botanic Gardens, the perennial border is
3: absolutely fabulous in February, mm.
1: uh, which is ridiculous. You know, forty degrees and it still looks good.
2: I actually spent six months working in the Bot Gardens back in the seventies. Did you yeah, really? It took a bit of. T- I was growing. I was wheat farming at the time, and, and uh, but it took uh, six months off wheat farming to come to Melbourne and uh, walked in there and somehow talked my way into a job. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how I managed to do it because everyone else was qualified and, the, and the, all I was good for was growing wheat at the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I, was, I was looking after the New Zealand section. Oh, right. And, uh, but uh, every lunchtime I was belting around and checking the entire garden. And, well, and the and Cleanthus
1: r- have all been out, which is wonderful. Yeah. I love the cleanthus. I- find it very hard to grow. Yeah, It's Our interesting looking
2: back on it because this is, uh, it, was, it was still uh, the, the bot gardens were still running along the same lines as was set up I guess by Guilfoyle mm. and uh, so every Monday uh, first thing every Monday, last thing every Friday we're out with palm fronds sweeping the paths and then with rakes sort of pushing all the leaves into the, uh, into the groups um, and uh, so uh, for me it was fantastic. So I was looking after this quite substantial section of the garden and that was just my job and I came to grips with it fairly quickly and got stuck in and back in the days, I mean <laughs> my back was a lot stronger in those days. So, no, it was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But
1: of course one of the things that they're talking about is moving some of the New Zealand collection or, or reproducing it elsewhere because yeah, well, I must admit,
2: I must admit, dare I say that there was no problems with water in those years, and, um, and so the streams sort of originated in my little section of the gardens and then chuckled off merrily all the way through the rest <laughs> of the gardens. I was doing a lot of watering, but, but there was it was just not a problem. Yes, yeah. well, it was seventy eight, seventy nine, no problems pre- with water that year.
1: They are predicting that by. 2090, Melbourne will have a climate similar to Dubbo's now. It's now you are not going to grow a New Zealand yep. collection or the Chinese collection yep. in Dubbo.
2: Yep, and I don't doubt that. That the Farming, I was farming, my family was farming on, the, on a farm in WA, uh, north of Perth from uh, the late 50s through to the 90s, uh, sold in 1990, came to the Dandong's in 1990. Um, and um, <laughs> I feel global warming set in in 1969, the first year I was sort of home from school and trying to grow a wheat crop, and, and the, that was the first drought year in 40, 50, 60 years. Mm. And and you can use that year as a cut-off point in WA, and and the, the, the rainfall before and the rainfall after, it's been a drop in rainfall in the southwest of about 25, 30%, right. which is pretty substantial. And the annoying thing is that rain's actually moved inland to the desert areas in the Nullarbor Plain. Nullarbor Plain's a lot wetter. Mm, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah, if you want to try growing wheat in the middle of the Nullarbor Plain, it's still not, not enough rain to do any good though. It's, no, it's right. just pointless rain it's because the evaporation rates are so high in those yes, areas. So those, that strip of uh, central Western Australia is getting a lot more rain. But the southwest, the agricultural area, is uh, 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 suffering, and and uh, and it's been true now for a long, long time. Mm.
0: Goodness me!
1: Well, mate. Yeah. Dubbo, I mean, you know, I don't want to live in Dubbo. No,
2: <laughs> 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 it's a, uh, yeah, it's anyway. We take it year by year, don't we? Mm. At the moment, it's raining. <laughs> Be thankful for that. We'll figure out what happens next year.
0: Yeah, but I know, I know. Tim Entwistle, the director of the gardens, is doing a lot of research into into how to future proof the gardens yeah. with all this proposed climate change that's well, going course, to take place Well of course and
1: I mean, Melbourne City Council also because you think about it if you're planting a tree you're planting for you know 200 years and that that's there, right. and
2: there it becomes really serious and and, 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 and the fact that the Melbourne uh, uh, um, the the trees in Melbourne the, the elms, in particular, constitute the, some of the last elms on earth, mm. and so there's, there's we're duty bound to try and keep the elms going. But how? With, mm. with, exactly. You know, it's, it's not, not an easy.
1: I saw somebody planting a silver birch the other day, and I, you know, I was just walking that's past a and I Well, you know, silver birch come from Latvia. Yes. You know, it's just mm. not not similar. They come from very very cold bits. On the Russian border, so it's not going to grow, and it's shallow-rooted tree. It's not going to last any length of time. That was one of
0: the first, um, you know, breeds of of, of tree that that went in the drought a couple of years ago Mm. around Melbourne. I mean, everyone's silver birch was just keeling over.
1: And the tulip tree was the other one that seemed to disappear in the drought, which I thought was sad. I love the tulip tree you 've got children. yeah no, ours
2: are okay, but uh, I mean, that 's the beauty of the Danongs we've got this soil and, we, and, and the, the and, and we still have rain it it's, it's been a we're not getting quite as much as we used to but the uh, but the Danongs you can think of as an upside down lake the 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 rainfall most of it just drops straight down through the soil profile and and so we have this pretty high water table and Right. And I know where the water table is It sits it's, it's, uh, around about uh, 15, 16 metres down And most of those big trees can get their toes down at the water table Yes. And so we, we can go through drought years And so long as we have a, a reasonable burst of rain um, Leading into a dry summer, we're right And the rain we're getting right now is absolutely critical mm. We've had a lot of rain right now There's very little runoff. Most of that drops straight down into the water table and it becomes available for the trees and for the One of the the things about
1: this rain is it hasn't been um, torrential. It's been steady. It has been steady. Yeah, and and so
2: you just do not. You should never complain about rain. <laughs> <laughs> it was how
1: I knew when I stopped being a Londoner and become an Australian again, when instead of groaning when the rain came, I said, oh, wonderful, it's raining. Yeah. Thought, this is a very non-English thing to say. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I, uh, having it rain in the middle of the week and nice fine weekends is really nice, though. <laughs> yes, well, that just, hasn't just, been happening. Just for the sake of keeping our visitor numbers up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, but, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of, trees that are planted around Melbourne are actually riparian. They're trees that should be planted near creeks and they're planted on tops of hills. Those Mm. are the sorts of mistakes that we must not be making. We need to change to trees that come from warmer climates and we need to make sure that we plant trees.
2: And and look, we we just have to come to grips with this um, and and really... I mean, mean what we're doing right now, um, uh, 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 I mean, the... I've um, got the latest Diggers magazine there, all and right. and, and, um, and 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 one thing that uh, Clark Blasey has done, which I find interesting, is make quite a few pages about available for people to write in with all sorts of strange, weird, and incredible ideas on how we think about landscape, and and there are, and it's and it's just a turmoil of ideas at the moment, mm. all based around what on earth we Going how to do, do we how do we cope with. With these changes, which are happening so quickly, mm. uh, the last time this happened was ten, twelve thousand years back, was, mm. was when the um, ice caps were melting, and the, you know it's incredible what the traditional custodians had to deal with because Australia shrank by what is it twenty yes, twenty percent? Yes, yeah, something phenomenal. Yeah, they, they reckon in p- parts of Western Australia the, where the, the coast runs out into the Timor Sea, the tide was advancing. With every single tide, the the, the rate of of, oh, of, of of um of um the, the rate at which the ocean was rising was so rapid that every tide was a little bit further inland, and you know, these were people who, you know, they, they were landowners, they were landholders, and they, they belonged to the land, and some of the land was disappearing. Mm. So it would have been amazing. And, and that it's this is happening again.
1: To, yeah, yes, so it's going to be amazing now because so many of our cities are built on the sea. Yeah. You know, not just Australia. You know, wherever you look, yeah. you know, we've tended to build cities on the sea, whether yeah. we look at London or New York yeah. or Sydney. Yeah.
2: yeah. I and my wife were down at Inverloch uh, uh, a few weeks ago and, and just staying there overnight and thought we'd go down to the beach to just, you know, for the sake of walk along walk the beach. Along we along the beach. There. Why not? Just about fell into Bass Strait. <laughs> 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 there was this, this, the surf club. There was the path running up beside the surf club. Climbed up the, the, this path, and, and suddenly there was the Bass Strait. The, the, the whole, the beach had gone. The, all the sandhills had gone. As I was standing there, literally, I was within half a metre of falling down about four metres, literally into Bass Strait. Good heaven. There was not much wind. There was just, but it was high tide. The the uh, Bass Strait was lapping against these sandhills. As I stood there. The sandhill, just a couple of meters long from me, collapsed into the water.
1: Good heavens! Wow.
2: And then a few seconds later, the sand to the other side collapsed.
0: I hope you've got uh, backwards. And, and
2: then I was looking down. What's holding me up? Yes, Nothing exactly. at all. And, and the those those tea trees that take so long to grow mm. uh, because they're wind pruned constantly. They're four or five meters high. There was a row of them lying in the salt water, oh. which is just unearthly and I just stood there for about two or three minutes as long as i dead, thinking i 'm going to end up in the water yes. uh, and, uh, and and just thinking this th- 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 i 've never said anything like this in my life, and um, but this is this is the, the shape of things to come.
1: And yet they they are busy investing a whole lot of money trying to save those stupid bathing boxes on the beach. Yeah,
2: well, well, in the, because in the, the case beach
1: because the beach is disappearing. Well, the beach is going to disappear.
2: Yeah, well, in the case of Envelope the the surf club, which is a pretty substantial building, yes, and, uh, what a, I, I guess about a million or two million dollars worth. Mm. Uh, it's doomed. It's 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 within a few the, the the best rates within a half a dozen meters of Good the surf heavens. club. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, gosh. So it's uh well just one of the whole <laughs> litany of problems really. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. yeah we we do have to think hard about yeah. how we deal with all this.
0: I know, but the thing is we we really need to sort out what we're going to plant. Um, now yeah, and, and we gardening need to is, build and up gardening
2: and how, and how we think about landscape is right at the heart of everything so oh golly you know we, people have not gardening 's always been it 's been relegated to the sort of the periphery of of, of, of the community's interests and it 's got to be brought right back into the center exactly and and because it 's only by everyone thinking about how they live in the landscape we 've going to get through it, this. It, it's
0: a survival question Jeremy. Yep, it really is and people used to think of gardening as just a way of beautifying mm. you know the sub- suburbs or yep. whatever but it's yep. not. It's serious business. Yep, absolutely. Very serious. Yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be most interested to see um, what uh, Melbourne City Council end up deciding particularly with some of their avenues of trees because we we know how important it is to green up our cities. Absolutely. To, to Drop that temperature. I mean,
2: there's a huge amount to be said for deciduous trees in, in, in cities. Certainly. And, and uh, but <laughs> can we keep the elms going? It's it's a very I'd, I'd hate to be given that little tussle to figure out.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, the other thing is, I think they're they're talking about getting rid of all the plane trees too.
2: Yeah, that's an uh, interesting one. I, I I kind of suspect uh, people blame plane trees for what's really the uh, ryegrass pollen in the air everywhere. Uh, someone who suffers from ryegrass pollen mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's no plane trees around us. Yeah. But on the days that the people complaining bitterly about plane trees, I was devastated by ryegrass pollen exactly at the same time. Yeah,
1: I think... I think people's I, I think, campaign I, I mean, against. It,
2: yeah, I think that it is a problem, but I think, but, uh, Plane but, but trees I think survive 90, 90 in, they
1: survive in 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 really they survive. In really polluted areas, yep. and not many trees do. Mm. And I think it's a mistake mm. just to be bashing the plane I, I trees endlessly. I think
2: ninety percent of the problem that people were having uh, walking up and down streets, blaming the plane trees, was actually ryegrass pollen.
0: Mm. Mind you, mind you, I, I hadn't realised there was a problem with plane trees until I was in Lyon. Um, only when was it? Last year, and. Um, Lots and lots and lots of plane trees all in flower. Very very windy day, and we were all literally choking with the plane trees. trees. So I now know <laughs> how
3: much oh, yeah, it can affect I, I agree. on a I windy mean, it, day. It was it was, definitely a problem shocking. with them. Yeah.
2: Did you see the way they were pruned in Lyon? Ah. I'm, Remind well, me. I, I well, can't, I can't well, recall. I'm, I'm trying to think, Leon. Uh, no, no, further south, further south in, the, in some of those cities along the Rhône. Oh, the, right. the way they prune, the, they prune those plane trees to, into uh, shapes is just extraordinary. It's some of the most unearthly pruning I've ever seen in my
0: life. Okay.
2: Maybe not Leon, but, but further no, south that on, on the same nothing river. Nothing
0: struck me ab- mm. about the pruning as being unusual. Yeah. So. Yeah, Can I just say that, we've,
1: um, that Karen has phoned back about that weed and it now has a name which is Medicago Polymorpha and I've looked it up. It's known as Burr Medic or Burr Clover. I'm um, at the moment reading a website from Brisbane City Council where it's obviously a real problem. Brisbane City
0: Council. Brisbane City Council. Okay. It's
1: native to Northern Africa, the Azores, the Madeira Islands, Canary Islands, Europe, Western Asia and the Indian subcontinent, and is widely naturalised throughout most of Australia. But somebody else has rung in saying, pull it out, pull it out, it's not yet in the parks, we mustn't let it get in the parks. So it's obviously a problem, uh, and it needs, I mean, they're talking here about spraying it with things that will kill clover.
3: Mm.
2: Okay. As well. So so, so th- it's this it's this needs checking out. Yes. Uh identify it, make sure. Uh, but but um, can we just go through that again? Medi- so
1: it's called it's Burr Medic or Burr Clover, Burr B U R Its proper name is Medicargo M E D I C A G O Polymorpha.
2: Polymorpha and P O L Y P H
1: P O L Y M O R P H A polymorpha. Okay.
2: Okay. So we need to identify that one and and um, jump on it.
1: Yes, and there's there's several similar medicagos that are around according to this website. So people might want to look it up. As it said, I'm looking at weeds of Brisbane. And um, we might just note that and see what more information yeah. we can pick yes, up. Yes,
0: yeah, we'll follow what, that one through. Mm. Um, very quickly, we've had another query from the outside line. A caller from Bayswater has a laculia growing along the side of her house. It's uh, tall, approximately 20 feet high. The leaves are yellow slash pink around the edges and are falling off. New buds form and then again turn yellow. And she also wants to know when do you likely prune them?
1: Well, I think I really think in if you're pruning a tree like that, you, it doesn't matter when you prune it. I mean, the worst that can happen is you'll lose one set of flowers. So you prune it when you fancy.
2: They tend to be semi- evergreen anyway. They aren't are semi- evergreen. Y- yeah. Mm. So they, so dropping leaves is 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 a natural thing to happen, and, and they, they tend to drop the leaves as they flower from uh, the, 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 to to some degree, or after they flower. Whereabouts,
0: um, Bayswater.
1: Bayswater. 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 So it's quite warm. Yeah. Because ca- do you grow loculia?
2: Um No, I haven't grown it, but I've I've, I've seen it growing in lots of places. But uh, I don't. Uh,
1: I, I it doesn't like
2: the cold. Yeah, I've I've seen it growing <laughs> in Kilsyth, very close to Bayswater, on the south side of a building, doing pretty well, in a in a on a difficult site, uh, tended to be boggy in winter and very dry in summer. And this was only, uh, this little coolie was only getting sunshine in the morning and the evening in okay. the summer and almost constant shade in, during the winter. Yep. It was a really difficult spot. Um, but they
1: are usually planted on the south side of a house. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, um, and, uh, and certainly they, they're not happy in, in too much sunshine.
1: And they're not happy uh, in too much cold.
2: Yeah. Um, th- this one was not too bad. In fact, there was two or three of them along this, this uh, facade.
0: Mm. mm. So maybe maybe it's just, I mean, if, if the leaves keep turning yellow and then falling off and then the new buds are doing the same thing, turning yep. yellow. Yeah,
2: it's, it's just how strong the the buds are to replace those leaves.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: 20 feet high is quite tall. It, it is. It's a short-lived plant. I'm yep. just wondering... Maybe it's time to, 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 the to end go of its out. Life. Yes, um, but that's that's the only. But it,
1: turning yellow also implies it could. Ha- I mean, there's it could be too wet or too dry. Yeah, too too wet be. or too dry, oh, exactly. or it could be lacking a bit in food. Yep. Yep. I would prune it, um, and I would prune it, and wait for a bit because we have been having an unconscionably cold wet wet time spring and and see that if it picks up yep and i and i would prune it and then just give it a good dose of sea salt yep and look again once the weather improves
0: yep good idea Okay, we've run out of time for another week. A huge thank you to the panel and also to uh, Louise and Carol who've been handling all the phones for us this morning. We will be back, of course, at 7.30 next Sunday morning. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station
3: 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.